Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Hong Kong gets voted as best city in the world, Shaw Brothers films are coming to an iTunes near you, and we look at the films Painted Skin the Resurrection and The Amazing Spider-Man. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, July 10th, 2012. As usual, I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super-secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm okay. Are, are you busy. surviving uh, the heat? No one been following my Twitter, but I've uh, been, been studying up on some wine. Wine? Wine writing. Yes. Oh, okay. uh, company, new company task. It's uh, my new job. It's helping to write uh, about wine stuff at the company. Mm, so mm. that's just additional to my work. So I'm still writing for, you know, your movie stuff and your music stuff on Yes Asia, but uh, just additional work uh, for wine. Is that so work I mean, you can really yeah. get into? Was that? Is that work you can find yourself really getting into? I mean, are you going to start taking some wine tasting classes? And I drink. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I took a wine set course. Uh, mm-hmm. Wine set is this um, standard set by the British government or something. I don't know because I guess they're the authority in wine as opposed to France. Uh, but yeah, I, I took a test and I'm trying to get a certificate, level one certificate. And uh, yeah, apparently we might start doing East Green, East Wine, West Wine, maybe. Uh, I don't know. If you say <laughs> that, if you say that three times fast, it sounds like swine. You know, like East Pig, West Pig, or something. Swine West Wine. Yeah, could swine be, could be West a, a McDull-related show or something, right? Or we could talk about uh, uh, pork buns or something. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but that would be another show for another day. Uh, but yeah, it's been really hot lately, hasn't it? I mean, really hot here. And uh, I don't know. Uh, the heat's kind of beaten down on me. How are you doing? I know they're really hot over in the U.S. right now. I mean, over on the East Coast where my, where my parents live, they're having some pretty record temperatures. Um, oh, Really? But I've been, you know, these past few days, it seems like I've taken a shower, stepped out the door, you know, to get on public transport to head south to the island, and uh, I'm not even five steps out, and I want to go back in and take another shower. <laughs> yeah, it's not like uh, Hong Kong is breaking any records. I mean, this is typical, I suppose, this is typical summer weather. But yes, I do find myself uh, sweating more, and I don't mean like some sexy buff beef kick way or anything but yeah it, it's been quite a sweaty week here in hong kong mm, yeah it's true um despite the heat though we've got some news coming up in a little bit talking about uh, hong kong being one of the best cities in the world um but we'll talk about all of that and a little bit more right after some news all right oh, we forgot to talk about the movies what movies are we talking about this week uh, for East Screen, we'll be talking about Painted Skin, Resurrection. And for West Screen, we'll be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, which we should have talked about last week, but uh, unfortunately, uh, some family stuff got in the way. 
and wasn't able to do the show last week. So for that, I do apologize. I also want to throw out a quick apology um, for those people bearing through the last episode. Uh, we've been having some technical issues, um, and we're trying to get those worked out um, from the audio perspective to try and improve our audio. So if the audio was sounding a little bit staticky last week, uh, I do apologize for that. I'm trying to uh, get that worked out, and hopefully going forward we'll have uh, much better audio quality in our productions. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about The Amazing Spider-Man, which um, I think uh, has been out now, and, and people have hopefully gotten a chance to see it. Um, but we'll try and be a spoiler as spoiler-free as possible in our discussion of that. Uh, but we do have some news to get to first, and I, I was just talking uh, a moment ago about Hong Kong being voted uh, best city in the world. And when I read this article, I had to stop for a moment and say, wait a minute, what the heck? Right? This is the city that I'm living in. Does it really deserve to be uh, the best city in the world? And this has prompted uh, some people to go out and, and tweet their thoughts and blog about some things. And one of the trends here in Hong Kong is there are a lot of people who are down on Hong Kong for a lot of different re reasons, maybe deservedly so. Um, it's quite common on Twitter, for example, for pe people to put in the slash tag or the hashtag um, Hong Kong problems and to talk about all of the different problems. Uh, I tried to do a, an alternative. I tried to go the, you know, play the devil's advocate and, and talk about some Hong Kong good points over the weekend. And I think I'm going to try and tweet some more of those out uh, as I see them as they come up. Um, because I do think Hong Kong is a little bit of a mixed bag. But this particular article comes from the Economist uh, Intelligence Unit. Now, I know the Economist, as a magazine, is a little bit divisive in some of their views. And uh, I've spoken with some other people in my field of academia who don't really like The Economist um, for, for differing reasons. Um, but typically, I find that their material at least is generally you know, fairly well-researched and supported with some of the stuff, uh, some of the statements that they're making. But when I read this, I kind of had to take it. I was taken aback. I'll, I'll, that's probably the nicest way I can say it. So um, the Economist Intelligence Unit uh, rated Hong Kong uh, as the top city according to their spatially adjusted livability index. Now, what does that really mean in, in layman's terms? It means that they have this set of criteria that relate somehow to livability, and Hong Kong got the highest rating, uh, a rating of, a, I believe it's 87.8, putting them in the top spot. Uh, the number two was Amsterdam, number three, Osaka, number four, Paris, number five, Sydney, number six, Stockholm, number seven, Berlin, number eight, Toronto, number nine, Munich, and number 10, Tokyo. Um, now, I'm, I don't I don't think I would agree that Hong Kong is the, the best city for livability in the world based on my own experience, but my experience is not reflected in the criteria that they were necessarily going using to, to take this measurement. But I mean, what do you think? What did you think when you heard this news, Kevin? Um, well, I mean, Hong Kong being my home, I mean, for me, it's always going to be the best city in the world. It's home, right? And, and, and considering I've only lived in three different cities, I mean... I think Hong Kong would rank just as high as Tokyo, I think. But the, the thing about Tokyo is that the, the language accessibility is not as good as Hong Kong, mm -hmm. let's face it. Um, and personally, yes, I, I have many problems with the city, uh, but actually more about its people than the actual city itself. I think as a city, I think Hong Kong is a great place to live. 
um, if you're looking for that kind of big city experience, Hong Kong is a great place to live. But of course, if you're looking for that, um, looking for something else, not not looking for like a, if you're looking for peace and quiet and all that, Hong Kong is not for you. So ultimately, I'm not sure what kind of object, what kind of um, I don't I don't get the criteria they have. I mean, stability, healthcare, culture, environment, education, infrastructure. I'm not sure they, they're not really specific enough for me to understand why they they managed to come with that score, but. Um, and because I think in some of those, Hong Kong is quite flawed. But um, otherwise, it is all about what you're looking for, right? In the end, yeah. I mean, for me, I think that for sure, healthcare is very high ranked because the few times I've I've been involved with the healthcare system, even with what my wife's going through right now, uh, Hong Kong is by far leaps and bounds uh, well above the U.S. At least in terms of my experience. But I can only speak from my experience because I haven't lived in, you know, these other cities. Uh, I've just lived in the U.S. and I've lived here, so I can't really speak to places like Amsterdam or Paris. Well, I did live in Paris for a little while, but um, no real Ooh. great length of time. Um, and, you know, uh, you have some experience in Tokyo, and, and um, you know, we could probably talk with some people in Berlin and Toronto. But um, when I think of livability, well, I mean, one of the things that, that I think of is the ability to have a home, you know, the ability to actually live um, and, and not have your lifestyle eaten up by uh, the ability to put a roof over your head. And that's one of the big problems here in Hong Kong is the, the overvalue of rent and the overvalue of, of, of buying, buying places. So I, I was really surprised that that wasn't really a big factor on, in terms of livability. Um, education is another big problem here, and that's not really a discussion for this show, but that is a problem that... Um, many people have, both local people and expats like myself who've come here and, and made Hong Kong their home, um, you know, getting their kids into quality education. I mean, there are stories of people having to sign up years in advance and be put on waiting lists just to get into kindergartens and things. Um, and that's an issue that I think will probably uh, get worse before it gets better. But I think that uh, it's an interesting conversation to have. And again, I, like you said, I, I do agree that this is a great city and there are many, many uh, positives to it, and I'm going to hopefully try and emphasize some more of those positives um, as we go forward. I think the one that I tweeted over the weekend was there was a there was a transformer, you know, up on the power line uh, that exploded. I, I got up really early; I think it was Saturday morning, and uh, I, I was working on the computer, and suddenly there was this flash, and I heard a boom, and you know, it's it was kind of like lightning, but it wasn't because there was no clouds out, it wasn't raining or anything. And then we just, you know, lost power. And this happened once before um, during a mild, ty a near-miss typhoon that came through. And so my wife got on to China Light and Power, and somebody had already called it in. And the workmen, we'd, we decided since we didn't have power, the workmen were like, well, let's go out to, you know, morning dim sum to Yum Cha, because we didn't have power, we weren't going to cook anything for breakfast. So by the time we got ready and dressed and and ready to go out the door it took us about an hour or so um the workmen were already out there working and just as we were getting ready to leave the power they, they had the power back on um so they you know something like that a really amazing response time in terms of you know keeping and i live in a not, not too remote but fairly remote remote village um so you know stuff like that and the the, the first time that this happened in the rain during during the near miss typhoon the workers came out and and fixed it that time as well um, so I was really impressed by the efficiency. I, I've lived through quite a few hurricanes in Florida, and there, if your power goes out, 
you could be out for at least a day, if not more. Um, so there are some really good things to like about that in, in this city. Uh, what about? I, I think when you when you lived here long enough, and I, I'm talking about Hong Kongers as well, uh, you start taking certain things for granted. You you start expect thinking that certain great things that you would never find in other cities, like the transportation system, the variety of of, of quiz, food that's available here, the uh, the 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 proximity of everything. Yeah. You, you start to take that for granted, and you start thinking that's something that's supposed to have instead of something that uh, Hong Kong has spent many years to build a great infrastructure to give you. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I'm, I'm actually start when you look at something like this, you start to hopefully people start to appreciate what they have in Hong Kong. Yeah, and hopefully you know we can still work to make it better. Yes. Uh, and Matt in the chat room says, "Dream home." <laughs> <laughs> he reminds us of ways in which to bring the value of of a house down, which is kind of funny because uh, I was watching the uh, t one of the TVB dramas that just ended last week. Uh, one of the plots was involving a girl who bought a flat, and it was a it was a ghost flat, you know. So she bought it because it was so cheap, but then she couldn't sell it because none of the locals wanted to buy it because somebody had committed suicide in it. So it's considered tainted, and they were trying to find foreigners to buy it because foreigners, you know, don't they don't have that same superstition. They don't care about it. Um, and then this brought up a conversation I think on Google Plus where somebody had forwarded. There's an English language site called, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but they have a feature called Haunted Hong Kong. And it's a listing of all the tainted flats in Hong Kong that are below market value uh, because they're tainted. And it has a listing of what happened and, and, and why they're tainted and when it happens. It's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like in the U.S. where I guess if you, uh, you, there are some sites where you can go look up used cars and find out, you know, if the car's ever been in an accident or not. Here, you can look up uh, Tainted Flats. All right. Um, you know, what else can we say about Hong Kong? Well, they have some pretty good movies. We're going to talk about some of those in just a moment. Um, but speaking of movies, uh, Kevin, you've got a little bit of news from Peter Chan, one of our local directors here, uh, about a movie he's working on. Yes. Um, the reason, yes, I put this right after Hong Kong is because Peter Chan is one of your, your, your best-known Hong Kong directors, right? Um, does a great film, Hong Kong films. Like, uh, uh, she's a woman, he's a man. Um, what else? Uh, Comments almost a love story. Uh, things like that. Really local Hong Kong stories. So, naturally, his next movie is about the pursuit of the China dream. Yes, he's just started work on a new film that has yet to be, uh, is yet to be titled. Um, apparently is, um, a generational epic about, uh, that takes place, uh, 30, that takes place over 30 years after the, uh, Chinese economic reform, started the Chinese economic reform after the Cultural Revolution. So, yes, the movie is supposedly about the quote unquote Chinese dream during the economic reform. Mm. Uh, the film will star Dun Chao, uh, Tong Dawei, and, uh, Huan Xiaoming. And the film is being shot by Christopher Doyle, of all people. Uh, and they just started shooting this week. So, Paul, what do you think? The Hong Kong director making um, a Chinese, essentially, what looks like a Chinese version of Mr. Cinema without yeah. the, the handover theme. What well, I mean, it could be, this? I mean, Comrades Almost a Love Story was kind of like a Chinese dream for its day, right? Because it was yes. about mainlanders who had somehow managed to come into China and were trying to make it big. And, and that was the Chinese dream during that period. Um, now what would it be? It's kind of the opposite, right? It's like Hong Kong people wanting to go back to China and make big money or, or, or mainlanders coming here and spending their money during golden weeks. 
Are you worried about the there's any kind of revisionist aspect to this thing? Because somehow they're supposed to, you know, push that. It seems like what it sounds like to me, what I've read so far, it sounds like it's about to, it's going to glorify the last 30 years of Chinese history and about how the economic reform and, and it's persistent to for economic development um, help the people and help yeah. realize people's dreams. Do you think there's any revisionist aspect to it that well, we think, need to worry well, about? There, there's certainly some potential. Um, I, we'd have to compare it with some of his other, um, anth- and, you know, sort of, sort of historical period films like um, Golden Chicken and and Mr. Cinema, you know, a little bit, and and, and films that take that kind of, uh, you know, uh, perspective on re-spinning history. But, um, you know, he, he, he might be fair with it. He might show that, you know, some people have have done exceedingly well, and, and but at the same time, there's a huge wealth gap. So maybe, maybe it won't be one-sided, uh, but... I don't know. Do you think do you think he'll be fair and balanced about it, or you, do you think this is just going to be sort of like uh, a Sophie's Revenge or a run, you know, um, as a uh, go la la go, you know, these, these sort of um, yuppie fantasy uh, Chinese films? I think from what because one is a Chinese China film group production. Um, so you know there's so this is a Chinese production, so you know there's gonna be certain of course um a certain need for to pass censors uh and and therefore they must show the you know certain things that's positive uh including the the government's plan for government uh the you know five year plans and all that um and and yes, I am a little worried that it is it will be very much revisionist revisionist and uh because it is supposed to be one of those um i think models after the uh the, the, the generational epics made in Hollywood, the ones that are really positive and, and, and you know, really encouraging and have a really positive vibe. And for some reason, it, it just kind of disturbs me if they're going to do that in China and how how much they're going to gloss over, what they're going to gloss over during that story. You know, just like, just like uh, that's why I mentioned Mr. Cinema. Mr. Cinema glossed over because it was a still metropole production, which is a left-wing company based in Hong Kong, but left-wing. Um, they glossed over certain um what are some of the darker aspects of the uh of the past uh, 30 40 years in hong kong history like you know like june 4th um so i'm afraid i am afraid it's going to take that direction hmm. well we'll have to wait and see time will tell yes but uh, yeah we should be excited about a new peter chan film for some reason i'm not really that looking forward to this one hmm. well if you're not looking forward to peter chan uh, maybe you can go back in time for some of your own revisionist cinema and experience films from yesteryear. That's right. Shaw Brothers is uh, coming to an iTunes near you. Now, this is uh, a South China Morning Post story, so I will put the links up on the uh, on the website. But the problem is, is that they're still following the old school model, and they're stuck behind a paywall. So uh, I might try and pr- and and copy out some of the more interesting sections that we talk about here. Um, but basically, oh, also the iPad issues are free, by the way. The the what? The iPad issues are all free. The iPad versions doesn't 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 charge for these stories. Uh, the iPad version, the iPad app of uh, SCMP app. Right, but you can't you can't. I I don't think I can I can. You have to you have to be um, a member, don't you? No, no, no. I I keep I use. I mean, as of like two weeks ago, I was downloading SCMP oh, every in- morning. Interesting. Um, yes. Because I get the iPad version, but it's also because I'm a subscriber to the online version. So I thought that's why. 
But uh, yeah, if you can, if that's if that's the case, get the, grab the iPad version because the uh, iPad, uh, uh, the way they do their layouts on the iPad is, is actually pretty nice. It takes takes forever to download though, compared yes. with some other uh, compared with like uh, Time and and Wired and stuff. Um, so yeah, the, uh, this is coming from uh, Blen Perez uh, from today, July tenth, twenty twelve. Entitled Celestial, Celestial, Closer to a Bite of Apple's Online Market. So Celestial Pictures, um, for those of you who aren't aware of this, they basically have a huge, they, they got the access to the Shaw Library, and they've been doing re-releases for the past decade now. Um, and, and they've been doing a pretty nice job with a lot of stuff. Some of the stuff's already gone out of print and is difficult to find, um, but that may change now if we can get uh, a lot of these up there on iTunes. Um, and so the idea is that they're in talks right now, uh, to re- work out a release schedule with iTunes. Um, and they're trying to get out as many films as possible to the platform. I'm guessing they'd go with a similar rollout that they did with the, you know, remastered re-release DVDs, which, you know, if they could follow a similar release pattern with a similar frequency, that'd be kind of nice. Um, and uh, but it also the article also goes on to say that Celestial I think is not uh, Apple exclusive, um, so they are under talks with other um, supporting user uh, services as well. So you could see these. I'm guessing on because it, it mentions Android. I mean, what's the big platform for Android? I think that's Amazon. So, the Android Store. Is it? But I think for movies. Isn't Amazon like the primary facilitator for uh, for Android? As far as I know, only the U.S. Amazon has this uh, online store. Mm, yeah, other, we, other we, we don't. I don't have one here. Having, since we're talking about, so it, it would make sense for for Celestial to be talking to iTunes because iTunes is once it's on the iTunes store, it's on essentially all the iTunes store. Yeah. I think Ex- movies, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, I, anyway. I'm I'm excited about this, and uh, yes. a friend of the show, Tim Young, who actually sent me uh, the, this article to, to uh, give us a heads up on on it that it was out today, had uh, mentioned that he, you know, hopefully these will um, allow people to get access to some of the films that uh, haven't turned up yet, and I know that there are a couple films that are on, for example, on VCD release only. Um, that didn't get a DVD release. That I would be, it would be nice if they would actually get these out there, um, in you know, a better a better definition format release. the The downside to this is that um, probably won't have the special features. That for me is a big selling point of the DVDs, because um, they sometimes, I mean, they don't typically don't have makings ofs, but they they have some nice still shots and they usually have the tradition the traditional trailer and the traditional posters and sometimes they have old lobby cards and things as part of the special features and of course some of them have some really good commentaries I just mentioned Tim Young's you know, for example he does the commentary for uh, Hong Kong Nocturne I believe and uh, so I don't think you'd be able to get access to those aspects on the iTunes store um, but still it would be it would be very welcome, at least, especially in the Hong Kong iTunes store. Um, but I think that uh, it would be great if they could get out to multiple region stores as well. Yeah, um, and, and actually, uh, the, the trade-off for the extras is that I think the iTunes store version movies tend to be cheaper mm. than they are on DVD. 
um, I've seen this in the music with the music. Actually, this music is actually much cheaper than buying the CDs. And, you know, I guess that's the trade-off for not having a physical copy. So hopefully they'll do that same model is that the movies are cheaper than they are on DVD. And in that, hopefully they will attract more people to try these digital versions. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that this deal will goes through because it, it would certainly open up a larger cloud library of very interesting stuff. Uh, Matt in the chat room says Google Play uh, offers movies as well, which... Um, I don't think I've used their service. I know that when I got my my current Android phone, um, I was very disappointed because I couldn't use it with my Amazon account because it's region locked to Hong Kong. So it was a bit of a bummer. Uh, curse you, region locking. All right. Uh, additional news. Some Batman news. Standing ovation for Batman. Is this uh, something you came across, Kevin? Yes, uh, apparently the Dark Knight Rises had its first, and this story has been everywhere already. The Dark Knight Rises had its first um, preview uh, screening last week, I believe. Uh, very ultra secret screening, like ultra strict, as in everyone had to re- wear wristbands and all that, and everyone had a, had an embargo. But of course, um, some some people couldn't wait to get on Twitter and they talked about it, and some people mentioned that. The forty to fifty people who saw that East Coast uh, press screening gave a standing ovation for the film. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's that good. Uh, actually, that is the same story that's been running around the, the nerd sites, and then, of course, Guardian UK picked it up. Um, but it's very interesting because um, it seems like it's become a narrative, but there was also a West, screen, uh, West Coast press screening, and I no one's said any more about that because, uh, meanwhile, uh, while all the other junket stuff is already coming out, um, no one seems to talk about the film. I'm not sure if it's because of the embargo or is it because um, that standing ovation story is super exaggerated or um, or people just really getting tired of the hype. Hmm. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm starting to not want to hear any more positive reviews about the movie because it's going to get a point where you're like, it can't be better than the hype anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I want to just uh, not go on Twitter and not go on any blogs or, or Google Plus or anything for the next week or so, uh, just because I'm afraid of stumbling across stuff that I don't want to see or hear about, or, or just basically too much hype. I mean, is there any chance that this is just a marketing circulated story, though? This this could very well be because that that story came from Twitter from a so-called quote-unquote according to the story a YouTube reviewer. Mm. I'm not sure why a YouTube reviewer gets to be the first audience to watch The Dark Knight Rises as opposed to say, oh I don't know, the New York Times uh, critic or uh, Roger Ebert or something. Meanwhile, you get a YouTube reviewer who watch. You know, as much as I love YouTube reviewers and and geek reviewers, why did you get to watch The Dark Knight Rises early than everyone else? Um, so yes, it, it's all a, a bit shady. I'm sure the film is going to be good. Apparently, um, uh, I, I, you know, and I'm looking very much forward to it. And you know, Christopher Nolan has has built up a lot of faith uh, for me. So so I am uh, going with very high expectations. But yes, it's getting to a point where it really is blowing up too much. But good thing for us, Paul, is that we're watching opening day on the 19th Hong Kong time. Yeah, Warner Brothers has the embargo on reviews until July 18th. America time. So we'll probably be reading the first reviews just as we're getting, getting out of theater. Hmm. So we'll be fine. Uh, I think they're doing a press screening here, though. Uh, no, I, I think the screenings, uh, it's not until that night, night the opening. Because the day and day opening, they did the same with Spider-Man. They did not 
show the Spider-Man for the press until the opening night. Hmm. Because they can't really, they don't really care about people. Some of the people in press circles seem to be mentioning Tuesday. Tuesday. I don't know so. if that's true or not. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's here at last. I'll be happy when Leonardo DiCaprio shows up at the end of the movie and says it's all just a dream. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt, I do agree. Bane looks ridiculous. Doesn't look like Bane to me. I know they're trying to go for the for the hyper reality uh, look and feel that's been established. Hey, clearly, you guys don't remember Batman and Robin. Oh no, I I do very much so. Yes. You know, Batsuit with nipples. Yes, and uh, and Bane to Bane in that movie was just yeah yeah it was pretty bad. Uh, Bane is a villain. Uh, kind of needs to be like the Hulk. You know, um, doing him as a normal guy, I just don't think pulls pull, pulls across the visual dynamic that he has in comic books and and in uh, games and stuff. But that's just my my opinion. I think I think uh, though we've talked about this before. Avengers is kind of up to the ante, and uh, we'll talk about whether Spider Man plays into that as well in a little bit. We've got one more story though, talking about superheroes, and this was also something I stumbled across today in the, um, what is it, the South China Morning Post. So again, uh, if you've got the uh, iPad app, you'll be able to dig this up there. Um, but if not, uh, I'll try and post a few tidbits and notes for this story over on our website. Um, that is at uh, www.kongcast.com. Uh, so this article is entitled Comics Icon Stan Lee, a Marvel at 89. Wow, it's hard to believe he's... Uh, He's that old. Uh, this is coming from Kevin Kwong um, from actually July 8th, 2012, so a couple days ago. Um, talking about uh, Stanley, you know, I, I think he's make, he was making a, making rounds at the Comic-Cons. And I think there was an Australia Comic-Con, uh, was it last month or so? And he's down there, and I think we've got the... We just had uh, another Comic-Con in the U.S. last week. There are too many Comic-Cons for me to, to keep up with anymore. Um... But basically, this this article was of interest because it talks a little bit about um, uh, a couple of things he's doing here in Asia. It says um, that he's planning to stage a rock opera at a casino in Macau next year. Okay, so that's something to look forward to. Kevin, you always go to Macau for concerts, right? <laughs> so you go see uh, the the Stanley Rock Opera. Um, no, I and, always go to Macau to to gamble. Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he says. Uh, that his uh, film that he's doing the co-production with, we talked about this last year, I think, um, that he's co-producing with the, the mainland China group uh, National Film Capital, uh, is called The Annihilator. And it's, uh, it is a co-production between, again, National Film Capital um, and uh, Magic Storm Entertainment, a Hollywood-based film finance company. And they are specialized in developing Stan Lee film franchises for... Uh, the mainland audience, as it says here. Um, so basically, this is going to be a very typical sort of uh, Marvel-esque story. Tells the, tells the tale of a young Chinese man who has a tragic incident happen to him, and he has to flee the country for a while, and he comes to America. So you've got a little bit of an immigrant story there. Uh, and then later it says he gets a very colorful and unusual set of superpowers, and he uses these superpowers to right some wrongs in America. 
And then for a really emotional and exciting climax, he returns to China, where he has his final ba final battle with a very powerful supervillain. Um, so yeah, does that sound enticing to you? <laughs> I it yeah. Uh, I don't really read comics. No. And, <laughs> and honestly, actually, I I read. Um, well, this is gonna be a movie, as I understand I, it, right? It's a movie. Yeah. Oh well, it sounds like the first half of it sounds like a Bruce Lee story. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like Dragon. Yeah. But it's the Annihilator. So oh, it's, it's okay. more like a Chuck Norris I, movie. I'm sounding really <laughs> dumb now, don't I? <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because this is the main villain will also be Chinese. So you're going to have a Chinese superhero, Chinese supervillain, um, which I think would be interesting. And I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. For me, though, the name just sounds kind of dumb. I mean, the Annihilator, that sounds more like a supervillain than a superhero. And it also sounds like something that would have been a sort of a direct-to-video cheesy vigilante movie ripoff back in the 1980s. It sounds like someone who's partner of The Punisher. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yes. a, like, like a Punisher ripoff or something. Yes. And um, actually, I just, I just recently read a comic uh, book called, actually written in America called uh, Captain China. I don't know if you've heard about this, Paul. No, I haven't. Is it new? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's actually drawn by a Chinese-American who meant it to be um, a satire, actually a real, like, over-the-top take on, on, you know, super Chinese nationalist hero, a cop Captain China. Um, and, of course, uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is very much satiric about, you know, it's very satiric and, and uh, very, very timely, in fact, very much plays with the, the, the times and, and the way the Chinese people, the, the attitude to the Chinese, the nationalist attitude and, and things like that. Um, and personally, I would like to see that get made into a movie rather than, than you know, some Stanley things that making to pander to China's audience. Mm. Well, we will have to wait and see if the Annihilator can uh, annihilate the box office or not. Um, so, yeah, the Stanley film or co-created film, I guess, is the best way to say it. And I later, and I, I guess he'll have a cameo in it because he has a cameo in pretty much everything he's ever had any uh, had any influence on, right? Um, so yeah, that doesn't doesn't really list any kind of a release date or anything like that. Uh, it goes into talking about other some of the other comic book movies, but uh, again, that's comics icon Stanley, a Marvel at eighty nine, and God bless him for uh, living to that ripe old age. And, and still uh, selling out on still still going to comic cons and still making appearances and uh, more power to him uh the, i guess I'm, I'm assuming you heard the news about uh, ernest borgnine yes yeah yes. sad news ernest borgnine passed away somebody on twitter said he would always be uh the character from airwolf in his mind and that holds true for me too uh but he yeah he won uh, won a lot of awards in back in the day all right, that's enough for news. I think it's time to move on and talk about some film. All right, up first, Painted Skin, The Resurrection. This is a sequel coming from director Wu Shan for the original Painted Skin film. Kevin, do you paint your skin? If not, I don't have a tattoo or anything, and that's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, does this movie uh, have tattoos? Or what can you tell us? That this movie paint my skin? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, uh, painted skin resurrection. Um, 
it's the latest film uh, to to carry the 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 so-called um, franchise. Uh, the first film was directed by Gordon Chan, also starred uh, Joe Shun, Vicky Zhao, and Alois Chan. Uh, though Donnie Yen did not does not return in this installment, um, and actually it makes sense because this film is uh, takes place five hundred years after the first film. Um, and and even though it carries the same character, Joshun's character returns. Uh, it doesn't really you don't really need to watch the first film to understand what's going on here. Uh, so I'll just you know start with that. Um, yes, Joshun returns as Xiao Wei, a fox demon who was uh, who 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 apparently after the events of the first film was imprisoned in ice uh, for five hundred years. Um, again, not really something you need to know um, from the first film. Uh, she is freed by a bird demon, uh, Chu Er, played by Minnie Yang. Um, and in turn, uh, Chuer becomes uh, Xiao Wei's disciple, uh, kind of like her little sister, um, while Xiao Wei continues to, to try and find a heart. Uh, but however, uh, instead of just eating a heart, her new goal is actually to find someone willing to give her a heart so that she can um, do something that she's always wanted, something that, that won't reveal until the third act. Um, one day she is... Um, she was chased by, uh, she's rescued actually by General, um, who turns out to be, uh, to be a princess, uh, named Jing, played by Vicky Zhao. Uh, turns out this princess is heading to the, uh, border city, uh, the white city, uh, border town to look for, um, a General Huo Xin, a uh, childhood friend that Jing was always in love with. Um, and in turn, Xiao Wei becomes kind of her entourage or her, her assistant. Um, but of course, uh, always uh, on a hunt for a heart, Xiao Wei begins to seduce Huo Xin, uh, but then realizes that there is more to gain from this uh, from Jing and Huo Xin's uh, unrequited love. Uh, at the same time, meanwhile, um, Chuer is hanging around the White City, and she runs into a demon hunter, uh, played by William Fang, and uh, they start up a friendship that kind of turns into a romance as well. Uh, at the same time, outside the border. You have uh, a, a, a troop of people from the Tianlang Nation, uh, led by uh, the Queen, um, who has arrived to, to the border city trying to find Jing, because uh, apparently the nation has made a deal to, um, to marry off Jing to their, to their prince to, to set up an alliance between the two nations. Um, so yes, yes, it does sound like there's a lot going on in this version. This is not, unlike the first film, this is not based on the... Um, the 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 Liao Zai, the Liao Zai uh, story. There's only a continuation in terms of uh, themes and and certain, uh, of course, the fantasy and the skin thing, uh, and of course the Xiaowei character. So this is not really based on that the the, the Liao Zai book. Um, that's why you need to know pretty much next to nothing to get into this. That's why the, China, the English title is not the two is not in the English title. It's only in the Chinese title. Uh, that's why it's just called Pain and Skin Resurrection. Um, again, familiar themes, same stars. Um, it is once again very much a fantasy, uh, but unlike the Gordon Chan version, which is pretty much set in one city and and sell sold a lot of things like martial arts and the special effects and horror and all that different things, um, this is very much a a, ro- a fantasy romance. Uh, has a lot of beautiful set designs and tons of special effects and very glossy and all that. Um, it was a very expensive film to make, but too bad the, the digital print we saw was bad. We saw a 2D digital print here in Hong Kong, and um, it was really um, it washed out. It was way too white, and I think it didn't do the image justice, which is kind of too bad because you know all this talk about the advantage of digital print, and it couldn't give us you know a, a proper clean print. Um, 
but that's besides that's besides the point. That doesn't really affect the movie's quality itself. Um, the female stars are good, of course. Joshua and Vicky Zhao are good together. They spend a lot of the movie actually together. Um, unlike the first film where Ricky Jack shows up and calls Joshu a demon, and then and then Joshu says, I'm not a demon, and Alice Chan steps up and says, she's not a demon. And then that whole back and forth, here they really are, they really have a lot of chemistry together, they really are kind of at odds with each other, but yet they kind of develop a friendship at the same time. It's a very interesting dynamic, um, and it's very much their movie here. Uh, Alice Chan kind of plays second fiddle, even though he was hilariously fabulous. It's like the most beautiful general ever. You know, really clean skin. I think I think he uses proactive <laughs> in the in the border city. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, he has Justin Bieber skin going on there. Uh, even Minnie Yang is very good. Uh, surprisingly, Minnie Yang kind of plays this you know younger, uh, inexperienced disciple demon character, and her love story with the the demon hunter is actually very cute until a certain point where it gets kind of cheesy. Um, but I thought actually that part was even sometimes better than the the main the main plot. Uh, the Joshu and Vicky Zhao stuff, that's really way too serious. Um, at the same time, it aims so much for everything. It's so all over the place. Uh, fantasy and uh, and the, the, the war battle scenes. And then there's, you know, the, the romance, the intrigue, the comedy, the romantic comedy stuff. It's so much all over the place that actually some of it was bound to work. That some of it was bound to stick, and, and it did. Um, the story is surprisingly engaging. Um, it didn't come together as smoothly as it should have, but it did. they did at least make the effort to make it all come together. Um, so it is surprisingly engaging, even though it runs over two hours long. Um, but direction, the special effects filled direction by Wu Shan isn't really as slick as he thinks he is. Uh, there's still some really, um, odd direction wise, I guess, you know, this film school talk again, there's some really, um, odd directing here, some really awkward direction, awkward camera choices, things like that. Um, but, you know, so, so Wu Shan, even though he's working as a director for hire here, I know, um, He's only he's only picked up this project. It's not really his project. He just got hired to direct the thing to bring it to fruition. Um, I think he still has a long way to go. Even though he has made this super blockbuster that is apparently about to outgross Let the Bullets Fly. I think by next week, um, he I think he still has a long way to go as a director. Um, he ha- he still has to learn that you know pretty special effects isn't really all that there is to a movie. Um, otherwise, again, it is really much better than I thought it was going to be. It's finally a really a Chinese period epic blockbuster that does not suck. I'm in, you know, <laughs> and it's not really a perfect film. It's really a flawed film. Um, like I said, direction is still kind of uh, odd at times, still kind of awkward. The uh, t- the plot could be tightened up a little bit, especially the storytelling and how many too many subplots. Um, but I still say that it's better than I thought it was going to be. And I am contemplating either watching it again or, or getting it on some kind of video format. Uh, I would watch it again. Uh, because, you know, like I said, it's not really bad film. Um, so if you have a chance, and if you're in China, you don't have a choice, you must see it in 3D, which is supposed to be really crappy. Uh, we were lucky enough to get the 2D version. So uh, if you get to watch it in 2D version, then definitely see it and see it on a big screen. Yeah, um, really best, better than I thought it was going to be. I was pleasantly surprised. Paul? Yeah, it's um, it really is a solid sequel. For me, it was just lacking one thing, and that was uh, Donnie's dynamism right because uh donnie was donnie yen was in in the first film uh obviously he wouldn't be in this film because it's again 500 years later um but they're real i mean i i think that they tried to get um the you know the character of of the general to be him you know to sort of fill that role and i you know there's this one battle scene 
where he's, uh, you know, the, the, the city is under siege. Um, you know, they're, they're in this city called White City, which is a frontier city, um, which is, uh, they're, they're basically on the border with this group, what they were called the Heavenly Wolves, right? Um, the Heavenly Wolf Kingdom. And they're, the Heavenly Wolf Kingdom are kind of like barbarians a little bit. Um, and, you know, so it all revolves around this, uh, this relationship between these two kingdoms. At one point, the one kingdom's laying siege to the, to White City, and he's the sole defender of the gate. So it, it becomes a little bit like, a you know, if you've played the Romance of the Three Kingdoms games where, you know, the general goes out and the two generals are supposed to battle before, you know, to try and, and, and prevent the casualties of war from happening. So if like, you know, if you can beat me, uh, then, then we lose. But if I beat you, you have to go away, that kind of a thing. Um, I, you know, he's, so he's trying to be the, the, the action central hero at that point, but, um, he's not Donnie. Uh, he didn't work as well for me. Um, and I liked Donnie's character better in, in that film. I liked the, the, you've got a lot of similar parallels between the first film and this film. There's unrequited love, there's mix-up of identity, um, you've also got, uh, some subplot stories, again, as you mentioned with, uh, you know, Minnie Yang's character and the, 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 the demon hunter character. Um, so there's a lot going on, uh, but I think a lot of it tends to just shadow the first film and, and in some ways it never really becomes quite as good as the first film for me. It's still very good, especially given the year that, that we're in and the films that we've had thus far. Um, I ended up liking it a lot more than I expected to, primarily because of the leads. Um, I think the chemistry between the, the you know, um, Zhao Wei and Zhou Shun here uh, is a lot better than it was in the first film. They didn't really, I mean, they had some interaction in the first film, um, but here, the, because the nature of their relationship is different, um, I think that they they really play off each other quite well. And there's actually some exo er erotic uh, you know, scenes that go on here. Um, th there's some eroticism that's very reminiscent of Green Snake. You know, it's very tastefully done. Of course, you you know, being a China film, you can't really get close into uh, any kind of Category 3 territory. But I think the way that they play off some of what they do and they, they use some, you know, they use some special effects in places, um, it works really well. And, and I, I liked the way that the director handled a lot of that. Uh, the big surprise, Chris Phillips. Who the heck is Chris Phillips? I had no freaking idea. There's this guy who shows up. He's the wizard. Okay, that's his name. The official title, the wizard, right? Um, and it's played by Chris Phillips. Have you ever heard of Chris Phillips? I had Chris never Phillips heard of Chris. Chris Phillips was really huge. He's one of the best-selling artists in China at a time yeah. in the late 80s, well, apparently, early 90s. Uh, he is a... He is a mixed character. Uh, he's uh, Chinese-American, um, but apparently he had a pretty, you know, he was born in Taiwan, but was pretty successful in uh, China. Just do a Google search for Chris Phillips, and you'll see him. His Chinese name is Fei Xiang, I guess. Um, yes. And this one article from the New Yorker says, the most handsome Chinese man I've ever seen. Um, 
Yes, so, apparently he was really huge in China at the yeah. time. And uh, he even played, uh, I think he was in Phantom of the Opera, the Beijing version of the Phantom of the Opera, yeah. as requested by Andrew Lloyd Webber himself. So there you go. Chris Phillips. And here he's playing the wizard, and he's a bald-headed, Lex Luthor-looking guy um, that has jazz hands all the time because <laughs> he, he's acting with his hands. And it's a riot. Yes. It's, um, he's really over the top, but he makes the film really fun. Uh, he doesn't really show up until, you know, about the, you know, last part of the second act, but, uh, um, he, I got, I got a big kick out of him. I want to see him in more stuff, but yeah, this is really good mythological fun for the most part, given the, the stuff, the slew of stuff we've had since, you know, last year, what have we had, uh, Chinese ghost story remake. We had the, uh, Sorcerer and the White Snake, the Green Snake remake, um, we've had a, a, a slew of, you know, really, I, w I would say quickly produced mythological epics that are films that want to be epics, but never really achieve it because they're hamstrung by really bad CG or, um, poor, poor directing or a, a misuse of, of narrative and, and, and simply not knowing what to do with a lot of this material. Again, this material, is, as some of the guys in the chat room are talking about, comes from established classic literature um, that the first film was based on. This is new stuff, but it's still dealing with a lot of those same themes. So it was nice to go in and, and, and enjoy this a lot more than I expected to. So um, i definitely say see it, and uh, Lao Ching Wan agrees. So good. Yes, I know. So good. Oh yeah, uh, I don't know about so good, but actually, I, I will try and um, I want to try and explain possibly why uh, this movie ended up being good, and I think it has to do with uh, Hawaii Brothers. Hawaii uh, Brothers have on their staff, uh, the head of uh, head of development, uh, director Chen Kuo Fu. Director Chen Kuo Fu, he was uh, actually a film critic in Taiwan, and then became a very famous director. He did um, the Personal, starring Renee Liu, and uh, I think it was Double Vision. And then uh, after a while, he started going to uh, as a producer, and that's and then he got brought into Hawaii Brothers, and I think this is one of the first attempts in China to do a movie via studio system kind of way, uh, a more producer studio oriented uh, production system where um, a producer I think is more in charge than the director. And uh, I think with someone like Chen Kuo Fu, who is actually an experienced you know a film critic and a director who knows what he's doing, I think that's really part of the reason why Hawaii Brothers is coming up as one of the biggest film studios in China, and I think they deserve the success. Hmm. So, so yeah, we're... definitely. If you see the name Chen Kuo Fu on a big big Chinese film next time, I think it's 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 safe to to think that it might be decent. Hmm. Do you think we're going to uh, see Painted Skin Three? The uh insurrection oh, or yes yes definitely it, it's made this movie's made a, a enormous a giant amount of money it's going like i said it's going to outgross let the bullets fly it's going to become the highest grossing chinese cinema of a chinese film ever i think by by next week hmm. so yes I, I i think we'll definitely see a pain of skin free from hawaii Good. and you know you you mentioned minnie yang uh, yang mi's character um, if you're not familiar, she is really one of the more popular young starlets coming up in mainland China right now. Um, I was quite surprised that they didn't, they really didn't focus on her assets. <laughs> you know what I mean? As, as, yes. as, as most people who use her in a film tend to do. Um, and that was a pleasant surprise as well. It really gave her a chance to be a little bit quirky and, 
and and try and do something different for a change. And I really like that aspect as well. I don't know. There was some bending forward shots that kind of got me sitting up. But anyway, <laughs> I was just looking too much maybe. And those moments you wish were you were wearing 3D glasses, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah. East Green, West Green. All right. It is time to talk about our West Green film for the week. And uh, this week we are talking about The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, this is, of course, the reboot of the film franchise, again, coming from uh, Marvel comic books as originated by Stan, Stan Lee and many other artists and, and writers and creative talents over the year. Um, this time, the direction is undertaken not by Sam Raimi, but the reboot is helmed by Mark Webb. Uh, it is still sort of telling the origin story of Peter Parker, this time from a slightly different perspective. We've got a slightly younger Peter, a Peter who's still in high school, um, and uh, who very early on in the, in the film, um, we, we come to know him through uh, the loss of his parents. His parents end up leaving him uh, with his aunt and uncle, his uh, Aunt May and Uncle Ben, played by Sally Field and uh, Martin Sheen. Uh, and his parents sort of go off into the night and he never sees them again. And so a little bit of this film is kind of centered around a discovery of the history of Peter Parker. Um, now, if you're like me and you know classic Spidey, um, the parents really didn't come into the picture much. It was early Spidey was just about uh, his Uncle Ben and, and, and his Aunt May and his relationship primarily with Aunt May going forward. And then I know they started to do some uh, crossover things and universe changes and reboots in the comic book and they at one point there was a clone spider-man who was the original and, and it just and I, I i stopped reading i think around the first infinity series i don't remember if it's infinity gauntlet or infinity wars and, and they just started to they'd reboot thing rebooted things one too many times and it got a little bit too convoluted and that's around the time i stopped reading american comics and started going on to um uh, comics from Hong Kong and comics from Japan because those stories seem to um, at least end for a change. Um, I, I had just gotten fed up with with the constant reboots and returns of similar villains. Um, but this film here sort of explores a more classic version uh, of Peter Parker, a, a Peter Parker who is a little bit more of a, a science nerd than I think Tobey Maguire's character was. Um, but it, it, you know, it also deals a lot with the history of his parents so that's a little bit of new material at least for me and what I remember of the comics that I used to read um, for some people this story probably is too soon and and that's an issue that I think Kevin will want to talk about and we'll touch on in a little bit but basically the story goes forward it tells the origin story um, and his relationship with Dr. Connors who if you've seen the trailer this isn't really a spoiler um, becomes the Lizard, one of the very early iconic uh, Spider-Man villains. Um, it was always one of my favorite villains, so I was somewhat excited uh, that he was the villain featured um, in this particular story. Um, but he was also a, a little bit uh, of my sense of disappointment with the film, too. Um, so it's got it, going into it, it had two things against it for me. The fact that it was a reboot and the fact that it was an origin story. 
But despite both of those things, I still really liked it. Um, the leads really surprised me. I did not like the idea of um, Andrew Garfield playing Peter Parker. I didn't think he would fit my idea of what Peter Parker should be. But he pulled it off. He really surprised me. And so did Emma Stone. Again, Emma Stone is somebody who I'd seen in The Help and in Zombieland. And I'm thinking, they're going to bring her in to play Gwen Stacy? She's a little bit too old by now, isn't she? Um, but I think she really did a capable job. She had very good chemistry with Garfield. And I like the way that the two played off of each other. Um, so I was surprised on, on, on that front and uh, very pleased with their portrayals of the character. Um, there is lots of buildup. You don't really even get too Spidey until about an hour into the film because they're dealing with a lot of backstory and and a little bit of teenage angst. Um, in some ways, it does feel a little bit like the TV show Teen Wolf in places because it's dealing with, you know, a, you know, a kid getting picked on and getting superpowers. And you've seen this kind of thing before. They had similar scenes in the original Superman um, you know, with super when when Clark Kent was a young boy going through high school and some of the problems and things, they always sort of, sort of touch on that. Um, you, you know, when a kid's in high school and suddenly he gets superpowers and what does he do with them? Um, and so it kind of plays through the whole build up and the idea of responsibility. Um, so aside from that, this is really a film that relies heavily on the performances of the characters. So the two leads are great. Sally Field. I think was was surprisingly good as Aunt May, and I wasn't really t ready to accept her as Aunt May either. I'm for me, Aunt May is you know like uh, Cloris Leachman, you know somebody's supposed to be old, and she's not really looking that old. Uh, she's not the Aunt May that I saw as Stan Lee drew Aunt May. Um, she's a younger, hipper Aunt May, but she somehow ended up working. Um, so I mentioned that for me, the lizard was my favorite villain in the comics, one of my favorite villains in the comics, but here I was excited to see him except the way they made him look. Um, because they sort of anthropomorphized his head, he looks more hybridish than lizardish. And somebody, I think it was over on the io9 blog, posted a picture of a Koopa Trooper from the old Super Mario Brothers movie, the one with um, Bob Hoskins. So go look up, if, you, if you've got some time to kill, go look, look, look up Koopa Trooper. Uh, that's K-O-O-P-A Trooper on Google. And you'll see a picture of these little, guy, these little lizard-headed guys from the Mario Brothers movie. And that's exactly what the lizard looked like. Somebody posted that, and that's all I could see uh, as I was watching the movie. And it made me crack up in a few places. Um, so the lizard design, wasn't too happy with it, but they did throw in some nice homages uh, to the comics and places. Um, and because of some of the things they do with the story, it felt a bit more classic to me than the Sam Raimi versions. Um, but again, I'm dealing with a memory that of Spider-Man that stops in the nineties pretty much. Um, so I haven't really had any connection with the comic book characters since that time. Um, they do have a post credit scene, which has sort of become the, the standard trope for these superhero movies now. And that was kind of a letdown, and I won't spoil it here, but can we not do the villain that they're hinting at for the next movie? Because we've already kind of seen that, and I think they could spend more time with other villains um, and sort of establishing a new, uh, an entirely new dynamic going forward. Um, 
but again, I, 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 for me, the look and the feel of this film really fits with a lot of what has been established in Marvel films of late. I know that this is a Sony property, so we're not likely to see, um, you know, a, a Spider-Man in an, in an Avengers or Spider-Man and Iron Man together unless some, you know, miracle of litigation happens in the next very near future. But I could see Garfield's Peter Parker trading barbs with Robert Downey Jr. or Mark Ruffalo or Talking Science. Um, he seems to fit in the universe, and I'd be very excited if they could somehow get these characters together in a crossover. Uh, I would love to see that. I liked this film uh, a lot more than I thought I would. It's a big summer movie. I had fun. It's... It's, you know, uh, is it Avengers? No. Is it, is it going to be Batman? Don't know. Uh, but I still really liked it. So if you're interested in Spider-Man and you don't care too much that it's, you know, covering familiar territory, but still in a very interesting way, see it. Kevin? Paul, did you watch this in 3D or 2D? I watched it in 3D. What did you think about it? Because I watched it in 2D, so I'm, I'm curious about what the 3D is like. Um... As is my normal stance on 3D, I've never seen a 3D film yet, aside from Avatar, that I think really needed to be in 3D. Not even um, Flying Swords? Not even Flying Swords. Mm. I, 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 3D just it really doesn't do anything for me, except lead to an inflated ticket price. Again, I'm saying this as somebody who has a slight vision problem, so the 3D doesn't always work well for me. Um, as a result, I loved Avatar. I loved what they did in Avatar. Um, but really, aside from the Pixar movies, uh, I'm, I'm not excited about seeing stuff in 3D. Um, but I want to see stuff on a big screen, and usually the big screens are 3D stuff. So they just put, you know, the, here they put the 2D stuff in small houses. Yeah, yeah. But I was, anyway, I saw it in 2D, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it would be different. But anyway, um, about about your you, you know I guess people complain you know where this movie needs to be made where it fuse too soon the thing is I think they're going with the they think that they want this movie to be remembered later on so if you watching this maybe five years down the road you probably wouldn't think about Raimi's movie so much or you wouldn't think about the the older version so much so maybe maybe it is a wise decision to not think on a short term but really plan on long term and pretend that the other movies don't exist uh, but with that said. If we didn't have the Sam Raimi movies, I might have liked this one more. I think mm. um, I like I kind of like Raimi's campy style. It's kind of more comic-y, uh, kind of silly. Uh, this is more straightforward and and Hollywood like. Um, I believe they they the, the creators said openly that Batman Begins was kind of one of their inspirations. Uh, and yeah, you can feel that it's a little more serious. Um, with that said, I think Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone were great together. Um, I always liked. I, I mean, not always, because you know, it's not like I've been watching them for a long time. But I liked Andrew Garfield in uh, Never Let Me Go and and uh, Social Network, and I like Emma Stone in you know Zombieland. Um, so so you know, I think I think they 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 have good chemistry here, and I kind I like them I, I like them very much. I'm not sure if they can be comparable to. Um, well, okay, I like Emma Stone more than uh, Chris Kirsten Dunst, but uh, maybe Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield. I, I'm not sure who I like more yet. Um, Mark Webb, the director, had a he put a great visual touch in 500 Days of Summer as a commercial director. Um, here, I didn't see that kind of flair here. Um, I guess the flair here is the the point of view shot that apparently already has already been done in the Spider-Man game, so it's not really that big of a deal here anyway. Um, there's some real bad writing. Uh, for example, there's a, a certain plot point about uh, actually pretty early on the film about Peter Parker sneaking into 
um, somewhere as an intern, uh, and somehow just sort of talks his way into it, and it was really badly written, like like plot hole size of a eighteen ton truck, big kind of plot hole for me, <laughs> uh, and that really was distracting for me because that bad kind of bad writing. Um, but you know, like I said, the reboot is fine because it treats itself as a standalone film. And like I said, five years down the road, you won't remember any of this anyway. You won't remember that it's too soon. You won't have it too soon. So maybe watch it five years later on, and five years down the road, and not watch any of the Raimi versions for that long as well. And maybe it'll work better. Um, with that, getting Elvin Sargent, who co-wrote Spider-Man, Spidey Two and Three, to co-write this script, I think was smart because um, in a way that. Then Mr. Sargent can 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 kind of concentrate about what not to repeat in in the reboot. Uh, plus, he did he he did have a big hand in making Spider-Man Two so good. Um, maybe not Spider-Man Three, but anyway. Um, as was it was a good decision to get Steve Cloves, who who wrote most of the Harry Potter scripts, uh, to also co-write this thing. But I don't think neither of those uh, writers brought anything fresh to to the to the story. Um, this was someone who 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 only who's only seen the films, never read any comics, and not really familiar with the the old variations in the story. And even that, I I still don't think it brought in anything fresh. Um, so Paul, I should I should ask you about this. Should Spider Man take off his mask so many times? Yeah, that was um, that was it was uh, really distracting. Yeah, yeah. I, I I we won't spoil it, but yeah, I think I personally think that because Spider Man two. Spider-Man taking off his mask is a huge point to make in the film, and especially what happened in that scene. Uh, it, it was a huge turning point in his identity and his character, and how how do people see his his Spider-Man? But here, it just keeps. It almost seems like he's taking off his mask, um, at at a one to three ratio. Yeah, I, they they might. I don't know if it has something. There was this. There was apparently there's this comic book arc called Civil War, where a lot of the super they had a superhero registration act and if you were you know so people like tony stark who are um who, who are known heroes their identity is known as opposed to secret um came out for the act and then other people like captain america and i i don't remember which side spider-man was on were against the act apparently again i haven't read any of this stuff i just talked about it with with friends of mine who still read comics so I don't know if, what the current... This might be something to do with the current incarnation of, of Peter Parker as it relates to current comics. But certainly from what I remember in the classic comics, yeah, his secret identity was very much, uh, you know, a, a secret. And uh, it was not something that he... It was not a case of him always taking off his mask, for sure. I mean, he, yeah, so, I, I, I can remember so ones was, where uh... he would, like... Cover so his cover his me, face with his own webbing and stuff to try and prevent people from seeing who he really was. Yeah, so that I think that became distracting for me, kind of especially towards the end when he's you know there's a special plot point. But anyway, yeah, it, it got really distracting. Um, but it's entertaining, uh, and and despite what I said about watching it five years down the road uh, and 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 ignoring that you know it's too soon, it doesn't convince me that it needed to be to exist. Yeah. Part of um, part of me wonders if it's if it's an actor thing too if it's a what thing if it's an actor thing you know because so much of like the so much of the the Raimi spider-man's spider-man was cg it wasn't toby Maguire, you know it, or, or it was a stuntman in a suit so part of me wondered if 
if maybe they wanted Garfield to have more screen time according to his contract or something. So he actually had to have his mask off more. Oh, that would that would suck. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Sorry, yeah. no, just a thought. I, I, even I'm though not, I'm not surprised, yeah, I'm not speaking from a, I'm not speaking from a, from a position that where I know this to be a fact or anything. Just a thought that that I had. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. Even though it's ridiculous, I would not be surprised uh, because studios do have these kind of ridiculous uh, 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 claws and things like that. Uh, but anyway, yes, the film, like I said, it it, it doesn't convince me. It needs to needs to exist. Um, I doubt that this version would stand the test of time unless they make a really kick-ass sequel. They would have to really make a kick-ass sequel, something that you would outdo Spider-Man 2 for this version to really stand the test of time, um, especially, you know, if they're going to continue as a franchise. And for me, it's very, very difficult. I think it's going to be difficult for them even more. If this version was difficult to pull off, it's going to be worse because then you got the second movie that's going to be compared to Spider-Man 2. Which is like the apparently the holy grail of comic book movies until the Batman until Dark Knight came along. So yeah. so I think I think this is gonna be very tough. Um, and you know as much as I thought it was entertaining, I didn't really like it or love it. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just wouldn't couldn't get myself really into it for some reason. Hmm. Uh, but still, of course, if you're a fan of Spidey, if you're not sick of Spidey yet, then I would say see it uh, for sure. Um, Otherwise, if you still think, if you have a, 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 a suspicion that it is too soon, then it's too soon. So don't don't go see it. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Uh, I'm. How's it? It's doing pretty well in the China in China, right? It hasn't opened in China. It doesn't it opens on the same day? Uh, the rumor. The rumor is that it opens on the same day as the Dark Knight Rises on August thirtieth. Ooh. In China. Hmm, that'll be an interesting race to watch. That'll be very interesting because uh, Spider-Man, of course, has the, the previous films, I think, play China. Meanwhile, the t- previous two Batman did not, even though you know many people saw the Batman other ways. Yeah. And also Inception was very, very popular. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of that matchup. And of course, uh, Christian Bale is a big celebrity after Flowers of War, right? That's true. I'm not sure if he's well liked, but yes, yes, he is a fairly star. Actually, I think the Christian Bale factor might have stopped the Dark Knight Rises, but apparently the rumor is that it did pass, and the rumor is that it will be opening at the end of August after the so-called Domestic Film Protection Month hmm. uh, wrap-up. So. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled. All right. I think it's time to play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, we got a couple comments uh, over at the website. Uh, First comment from Matt, who is also in the chat room. We thank him for stopping by says, uh, I occasionally rent from iTunes, but Netflix is usually my first stop when it comes to digital streaming. Um, it would be my first stop, too, if we could get it over here. He says, it is not an especially reliable source if you're looking to find a specific title, but I've loaded up my queue with plenty of interesting stuff to watch on a rainy day. It's nice because I stumble across content I otherwise wouldn't see. 
And he mentions quirky documentaries like The Parking Lot Movie, Winnebago Man, American Movie, uh, Hell House, Zombie Girl, Best Worst Movie, and uh, The Rock of Fire Explosion. He says, I'm still leery of the digital purchases given uh, all the rights headaches and usually would rather just buy the disc if it's something I intend to keep. And I think the current show format is fine, speaking about our, whether we should turn our show into a, a shorter format or not. Um, he says he thinks the current show's format is fine, with the occasional extended episode is justified. Say, such as a Michael Wong retrospective. <laughs> that, would be, <laughs> that would be a long show indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, uh, this is probably a very common experience. A lot of people, a lot of my friends in the States are all on Netflix. Um, they say that Netflix not really a great source for looking for stuff and they you know they're they they pull stuff all the time they lose the rights to stuff and so it disappears you know you might have something in your queue and then it might be gone later um but they do have quite a lot of content um and you know sometimes i know people will be watching something on netflix and i'll want to go look it up on itunes and the itunes library doesn't have it um so there's you know still a you know, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of the old days where you'd have some mom-and-pop video shops, and then you'd have Blockbuster, and sometimes the mom-and-pop video shops would have something that Blockbuster didn't. More often than not, Blockbuster had a lot of stuff that the mom-and-pop shops wouldn't have, and for sure, for all the newest stuff, of course, uh, they would have that, you know, ready to go. That was sort of their big selling point, was they'd have it when nobody else would have it in. Um, uh, the thing with um, what you call it, um, iTunes for me personally is that I can actually rent it and put it on my device and take it out on the go. Yeah. Uh, whereas Netflix, I think I have to stream it right if I'm watching it on my on yes. my on yeah. my iPad or I, iPhone, right? Yeah, you have to stream it, um, but yes. you, you can stream it and, on the go. But then, of course, you're if you don't have unlimited bandwidth, you are uh, you know, or at a Wi-Fi spot, you are really sucking into your whatever your uh, data plan is. Exactly. Um, and I don't trust, I don't trust my 3G plan to be fast enough to stream a movie. So for now, I still kind of prefer the iTunes store because it lets me download the movie and watch it yeah. on the go. And somebody mentioned too, that um, the problem with iTunes is that they, a lot of times they don't have stuff on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that their, their stuff just, I guess they do have sales from time to time, but they're not very good at highlighting it. And I think we've talked about this before. Um, you know, Amazon's really great at this. It's like if I've got stuff in my wish list or I've got stuff in my cart that I haven't uh, purchased yet, they let me know when that stuff goes up and down in price. And if there's a big sale on something that seems like it's something that I'd want based on previous purchases, you know, they send me an email and say, hey, did you know that, uh, you know, Batman Beyond is now 55% off? Um, I, that's something I wish iTunes would do because I'm sure that while I do rent a lot of stuff from iTunes, I don't actually buy that much from iTunes because a lot of their stuff is often at the same price as a disc, you know, as physical media. And I still have a hard time justifying uh, some of that expense. So we mentioned that, I think, last time. But yeah, I'd love to have Netflix too, uh, just as an option. It would be great. Stupid international regional rights. Ah. Are we going to start that? I'm not going to start that debate again, but old man, you know where I stand. Yeah. Um, we also got a comment from Gary. He says, I do not mind the two plus hour 
do not mind a two plus hour podcast. Although I think a friend of the show, Marco Spomberg, has mentioned to me that one of the problems with the really long podcasts, if I go over, if we go over an hour and a half, is that uh, the flash player on the site. Some people play; they don't download; they play directly over at the website, and that the flash player tends to crash with the really long episodes. Um, but the problem is because of the numbering system I use, it's very difficult for me to break those up into, you know, like a 114A, 114B, um, because then I'd have to create an, I'd have to create an additional numbering system that's outside of the RSS numbering system that I use, um, which iTunes taps into and, you know, things like, uh, some of the other services we use like uh, Stitcher and whatnot. More work for me, although it's probably something I should do if uh, we do have long episodes because, you know, different people access our stuff in different ways and we want to make sure all of it works. Um, so, yeah, thanks for your comments, guys, and uh, big thanks to the chat room for stopping by. We had a, a pretty big chat room today. We had uh, Matt, Matt Seidel was in there, Marco Spomberg was in there, um, Blue Summers was stopped by for a bit and Kenneth Brewerson of Podcast on Fire also stopped by. We thank them for coming by and, and chatting with us and uh, being part of the show. If you would like to be part of the show, uh, you can always head over to the website, congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. And, uh, you can stop by and participate in the discussion, find our show notes, uh, stream the show directly from there if you don't want to download it. Um, all right there at your fingertips. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, and if you like the show, we would appreciate you stopping by uh, wherever your iTunes store is located, and in between, you know, looking for those Shaw Brothers celestial movies. Uh, stop by and look up at East Screen, West Screen, and uh, give us a shout out there. Twitter.com slash Kongcast if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter. Usually that's for updates of the show or delays of the show or uh, things that we're going to be doing. Um, of course, we tend to broadcast our live stream on Tuesday evenings, 9.30 p.m. Hong Kong time. You can find that schedule over on the website as well. Um, if you'd like to follow along with uh, me, that's twitter.com slash foxlore, although I tend to rant about inane stuff, usually not movie-related, or you're just basically following my, my Get Glue feed, which is pretty darn boring these days because I'm watching old stuff. Um, or you can follow Mr. Ma, twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, one word, where he tweets about not only his daily activities here in Hong Kong, but he also sp uh, spends a lot of time talking about film-related stuff, what movie news, and a lot more uh, interesting stuff for the film, those of uh, film interest out there. Uh, catch us on Stitcher. Oh, I should probably say the email, shouldn't I? Gmail, uh, eScreen at Gmail, if you'd like to get in touch with us directly. Uh, send us an email, drop us a line, send us a short audio review, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio. It's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, big thanks to some other people, Rob Govers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for organizing movie nights. Um, if you are in Hong Kong and you're interested to come out to a movie night, which we usually have once a week here in Hong Kong, um, I post the schedule for that when we know what's going on. <laughs> uh, usually uh, each week uh, over at the website, Concast.com, so you can go there 
look at the little Google schedule and you can see if we've got an upcoming movie night. If you'd like to join us, just uh, send us a shout out on Twitter or on email and we'll let you know how you can hook up with us. Um, so big thanks to him for doing that, for keeping that organized. Uh, thanks for Kevin for being here for our 105 going on, our 115 going on 116 episodes. And of course, all of you, the listeners out there listening each and every week, we appreciate your support. Uh, Kevin, anything big going on in the world of you aside from drinking wine? <laughs> um, well, Madol, the portrait music has opened in China. Uh, even though my contribution will not see, be seen in that version. If you do want to watch it, the Cantonese version is playing in the Guangdong province right now, if you're listening. Um, so you can cross over and watch the Cantonese version of the film. You can't wait. Um, otherwise, I think my personal contribution to the film, which is the English subtitles, uh, should be out on uh, August 16th. All right. Uh, here in Hong Kong. Um, but actually, also, something that I, I should be remembering to ask you, Paul, uh, don't we have a new new thing on the soundboard today? Oh, yes. Uh, I totally forgot. So, yeah, I should have played this uh, right after Spider-Man. A little bit of insight from uh, Chevy Chase. Yes! <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can name that movie... I'll give you a prize. Can you name it? I, I'm not getting the prize. <laughs> Anyone in the chat room know the film? <laughs> one of one of Chevy Chase's earliest films. Very funny. Very very classic scene. Um, yeah. So if, I'm figuring if if we something we come across that we really really enjoy, we can uh, throw that soundbite in as opposed to. Uh, his cohort, Bill Murray. Oh my gosh. Does that suck? Yeah. So, uh, we've got the pro, we've got the con. Um, so yeah, that's good. Uh, McDonald movie coming in uh, the next month. An animated feature about a Hong Kong pig. Uh, it's a favorite of ours here at the podcast. Um, anything else going on between now and our next show? The, uh, the four. Golden Chance. The four. Yeah, oh, yeah that's, that's this out. week. So, um, yeah, so we'll have... Uh, for episode 116, we'll be looking at the four, and I think, uh, I don't know if you'll get a chance to see this between now and then, because it seems like they've almost pulled all of the screenings, <laughs> except for a handful. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Uh, I, I got a chance to get out and watch that, so I think I'll talk about that next time. Um, and I'm not sure if there's uh, anything else. I'm going to talk about the Madonna movie, but I have to go watch it first, so I'm yeah. not sure. I know that... Uh, I'm going to try and watch this movie called Margaret. Apparently, there, this is a huge thing. Someone has to inform me about what this is such a big deal. I'm going to rent it off iTunes, but um, apparently it's gone. It's, it's grown quite a very faithful cult around this movie, starring uh, Anna Paquin and, and Matt Damon and Raffi Broderick and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, apparently, it's got a really loyal following, and, and, uh, I, and now that it's on iTunes, I'm very much interested in watching it and hmm. hopefully I can talk about it. Yeah, and of course, um, what's her name has a new movie out. I didn't get a chance to go see it yet. Uh, the, with the the Korean actor and uh, uh, Tang Wei. Uh late late autumn. Yeah. I've seen that, so I can talk about. It. But that's actually a Korean film. But yeah, we can talk about that. As well. Yeah, we should probably talk about that yeah. next week. Yes. Uh, it's a Korean film, but it's like in the U.S., right? Yeah, it's a Korean film, but made in the U.S. Uh, in Eng- mostly in English. Mm. Yeah, uh, looks. Like it might be interesting. All right, so all of that on our next show, 116. 
all that and much more. Until then, as always, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh.